Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, powerful conversations helping you reconnect with your purpose. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Mike McGrail. Mike is the founder of Velocity Digital, a digital marketing consultancy that has worked with brands such as Skyscanner, Postcode Lottery, Mercat Tours and Float. You're also non-executive director for Creative Edinburgh and in the past, past year, you worked as marketing director for EdTech Startup Administrate. You're a speaker, a blogger, host of the Velocity Marketing Podcast, and you're alleged to have invented trees, teeth, and skiing. <laughs> Mike, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Elliot. Good, good. Well, uh, we'll see what we get out of this. I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. So out of sheer curiosity, where does the, uh, the idea of inventing trees and such uh, talk of creationism come from? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> no. I, was, uh, I think the first place I put that was my LinkedIn bio headline. Uh -huh. And um, I just think sometimes you need to add a little bit of something daft to make yourself stand out and kind of reflect how you are as a person. Uh -huh. And uh, not actually not long after putting that up on LinkedIn, a couple of business inquiries came in and they said, that was the reason I chose you over other people because you weren't afraid to have a bit of a laugh on something that's meant to be very serious and corporate like LinkedIn. So yeah, just just daft, that's all it that's is. That's awesome, yeah, yeah. I, like the, I like the quirkiness. I can yeah. see why people would buy into that. It's quite sort of humanizing, I suppose. Exactly, yeah, bit yeah. of character. Excellent, excellent. So perhaps we could kind of start with um, a bit about, you know, who Mike McGrail is mm. and I suppose your journey to date um, in marketing and, and how you really got into that. Yeah, I mean, um, marketing's kind of in the blood. Um, my dad has run a, a successful graphic design, corporate design agency for, for over 30 years now. Yeah. We actually started that in the year I was born. Okay. Uh, so it's about 34 years. Um, Although that wasn't the kind of first path I went went down. Um, so, you know, typical primary school, high school, outskirts of uh, Edinburgh. Uh, I was a particularly hard to handle student, I would say. Um, okay. I wasn't bad, but I was cheeky. I was the guy in class who was always trying to get the laughs out of everybody, maybe taking the mick out of the teacher and, and whatnot. And uh, that probably held me back until about actually sixth year because uh, I got to that point in time and I went, oh God, right, I've not got the grades to go and do what I wanted to do. Oh, okay. At that point in time, I actually wanted to go and study hospitality because I'd worked in, in restaurants and bars around that time. Mm -hmm. Too young to be working behind the bar, obviously. Uh, but I loved that interaction with people in that whole industry. I didn't actually need that much to go and get on a degree placement for that. So in sixth year, I kind of got my head down and went and got the hires that I needed to do to get and, and to go and do that. So I went from a hospitality degree and about three months into that, when I was standing in a hot kitchen having to shell prawns, I thought I'm not really learning much about managing uh, hostelries here and uh, things like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. My, my grand plan was to own a nightclub. And okay. I, I kind of thought, shelling prawns ain't going to show me how to get people <laughs> through the door. Uh, so I actually dropped out of that uh, course quite quickly and decided I'm not going back to uni for a while. And I took a job, I don't know if you know what, remember a company called Lun Poly? Holiday sales. Yeah, yeah. Part yeah. of the Thompson Group. Um, I took a job selling holidays to the public over a counter. Uh, and I was 19 just at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was an amazing experience because it was literally like, I was on 8,000 pounds a year. And 
the majority of the money you had to make was through commission. Uh -huh. So it was like, here's a bunch of holidays, here's people from families to businessmen to whatever, they need travel, sell it to them. And it gave me a real sense of how tough life can be in the working world. I'd always worked, I had paper rounds, I always had part-time jobs, I loved working. So I'd always had that kind of thing going on at school and whatnot, mm -hmm. but this was very much, I'm out there. I was still staying with my folks at the time, mm -hmm. but they said, well, you're working now, you need to pay digs, which was great because it gave me that wee bit of responsibility. But eventually I went, no, I need to go back to university. I started a tourism degree, so that'd be good fun, travel, <laughs> tourism, want to go and do that, travel the world. Again, garbage course, completed the first year of that, and then I went, you know what I really want to do? Marketing. And went into the second year of a marketing degree at Napier, and I f finished that, and I've literally worked in marketing from that moment forward. Wow, okay. And so when was that? Uh, I graduated in 2005. Okay, yeah. so that's quite a while ago. Yeah. So I'm, I'm quite interested to hear how you think um, the marketing landscape has changed since you left university, and I suppose indeed how much of what you learned was relevant to what you now do. Uh, it's changed immeasurably in that time and it's something that's been pretty seismic i mean my mm -hmm. first job after uni i went into a small agency that was only serving tourism businesses so i kind of went full circle back into <laughs> that yeah. and albeit they had websites um you know digital marketing was very very young still in those days mm -hmm. google adwords email marketing they were really the things you had to play with but mm -hmm. they were an afterthought for most businesses still at that point in time, unless you were a, a, an e-commerce business, but e-commerce wasn't even really a thing. It was, so I was dealing with brochure wear and writing lots of copy, and then the websites were this kind of afterthought, like I said, and I started around that time to think, well, there's more to this and I can see more coming. And then over the years, you know, things rapidly changed. I um, I left there to go and join a magazine called The Skinny. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Culture magazine, free press. Um, I was one of the first, I was one of only two people that ever had a salary there at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And um, I was thrust into the world of advertising sales. So without the adverts, The Skinny was never going to survive. And I started to say, well, we've got this print that goes out, but we do have a website and it's getting a lot of visits because it's got music reviews and things on there. So let's start trying to sell advertising as part of that. And from that moment on, I've not really looked out with digital in a huge way. And actually now we're in a place where that is the way to do it. Yes. We've still got every other part of marketing is, is alive, mm -hmm. whether it's well is under question. <laughs> but the thing is now about making it uh, is integrated. Anything you're doing online should really have an offline effect and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, I've had a fair amount of jobs in my in my career, and the one that really kind of got me on the path to, to where where I um, I am now, I went travelling. I was working in Standard Life and the commercial marketing team there. Um, really, uh, kind of intense experience of managing big marketing agencies in London, playing with really sizable budgets, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Um, that was the kind of last job that I had before I went into the agency world in a big way. Prior to that, I did have a small job in an agency where I was running and writing Google AdWords campaigns all day long. And that was when social media started to emerge as people in the States started saying this could be a great marketing channel. Then I got really involved in that. I started writing a blog at that point in time because I wanted to learn more about social media marketing called the Social Penguin blog. Okay. 
grew that to around 40,000 um, uniques a month wow. just through graft and connecting with the right people. And that kind of allowed me to build a bit of, I guess what you call, and it's a terrible term, a personal brand. I hate, <laughs> I hate the term. Really? I really can't stand it. It just makes me want to puke. But it, there's a lot of power in it. And by writing yeah. that, I got invited to uh, speak at conferences and so on and so forth. Then actually I went to Standard Life, then I went to a big PR agency, and it was at that point in time, at the end of that, I said, I am going out on my own, and that's when Velocity started, so that's around four years ago. Right. But if you look at the, the kind of evolution of marketing into where it is now, I, that is exactly the route I have followed. So I, it, I started in a time where you were still predominantly looking at offline methods, mm -hmm. and now we're in this point in time where the, the, the focus quite rightly is on is on digital. Yeah. Um, so I've been fortunate to be able to kind of ride along with that and always consciously positioned myself in the right place at the right time. Um, and it's worked so far because yeah. I've managed to build a career that I really look back on with a lot of fondness, but also I can point to the exact points in that journey where I learned the most and when I started to realize that actually I'm not built to work for other people <laughs> uh, as a rule anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, so I mean, what are the things um, that you, you like the most about the work that you do? So I just recently left a brilliant role at a company here in Edinburgh called The Ministry which is an edtech startup. It's been around approximately five years. And at the end of 2015, we had a, I had a discussion with them and they said, we would, we'd like you to come on board and kind of head up marketing. And a great opportunity, great challenge, really enjoyed my time there. Mm -hmm. But it was a big shift for me. And the key part of it was that it removed me from dealing with people. Now, I don't, I don't mean colleagues, and obviously the software as a software company is used by humans, by people. And as the marketing team, what we're trying to do is generate leads, people that are highly interested in a piece of software like Administrate that we then pass to the sales team and they go and do their sales job on it. Mm -hmm. What it wasn't giving me was the ability to sit down with a person who runs a business or somebody who works in a business and find out their problems how I can help them solve them. And that's what a lot of agency work was about. Mm -hmm. Even standard life, for example, a lot of that was internal stakeholder marketing. Uh, and I, I would class myself as a people person. I'm very sociable, I always have been. I like building relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that social media marketing has always kind of suited my, my skill set over the, over the, the, the years. Mm -hmm. And that, that, the thing that drives me, and I very much realized that definitively over the last 11 to 12 months while I was at Administrate, was the need to work directly with people to help them solve the problems they have. And mm -hmm. quite often in business, marketing is the number one problem. And that's really what's at my root, and like that, that everybody overuses the word passion, but mm. I need that in order to, to really thrive and, and do my best work. And, feel fulfilled really yeah 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 that's interesting so what what are the things that you learned from working at administrate being entirely different obviously to the sort of consultancy work that you, you do 
Uh, there were areas of marketing specifically that I hadn't really dealt with before. So mm -hmm. automation, uh, for example, but you're also in a SaaS environment, software yeah. as a service, which is has its whole, diff it's a whole different ball game. It's a very acronym heavy place. Everything's metrics based. There's five or six key metrics that the business builds itself on. And then each team within the business has its own metrics, its own acronyms. And that was a huge learning curve. So it's great because I feel like I've now got a decent foundation in that. Um, I think it, 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 it was almost more about this, this kind of, not mass generation of leads, but it was very much different to what I was used to, which is here's the problem and here's the strategy that we're gonna, how we're gonna fix it. And we're gonna go piece by piece through this. And we're gonna make sure that it's gonna get the best outcome for your business. Mm -hmm. Some, a SaaS environment is very much driven by leads, sales, and then obviously the product underpins that because mm -hmm. we need to sell a great product. And if the product isn't great, then it's hard for us to market it, it's hard to sell it. So it was just a really great glimpse in, into mainly the SaaS world. I wouldn't so much say, there was bits of marketing I hadn't touched on before, but really that, that software as a service environment. Got you. And startup, to be honest. I mean, in yeah. Scotland right now, in particular in Edinburgh, Skyscanner has just sold for 1.4 billion pounds. Yeah. And that is the thing. And that sale is now gonna take the kind of thing that's been going on, particularly in Edinburgh, but across Scotland, and just rocket it even further. There's gonna be new waves of investment coming in based on that. For years, people said Skyscanner needs to be sold for a serious amount of dough or somebody needs to leave Skyscanner and set up a very good spin-off hmm. before it will start to get taken more seriously. And Skyscanner has always been that kind of unicorn thing, you know, potential yeah. unicorn. Yeah. Uh, and it's been held up there as the, the kind of bastion for the city hmm. and Scotland really from mm -hmm. in the tech startup. I mean, it's not, it started in 2001 though. It's, it's not actually that, that young a company. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, I think having worked in that now, that field, that area, I can now have an understanding of, of everything from how the investment works in it and VCs and angels and all that type of stuff is like, wow, here we go. Yeah. And it's good, it gives me a, a good bit of insight for the future because if any of those companies come along and say, Mike, can you help us then? I can re reflect on what I learned there. Of course, yeah. Mainly yeah. what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I was—I think I was watching a video of you recently saying that you feel as though it's made you a more sort of well-rounded uh, kind of, I suppose, business person, but marketing yeah. person as well. Absolutely, yeah. Good. Yeah. Excellent. So, I mean, you spoke there a bit about Skyscanner. It'd be really interesting to hear some of your thoughts around um, entrepreneurship and the whole startup scene within Edinburgh and indeed Scotland. Yeah. Because um, it's felt for a while that something fairly, you know, big is happening. There seems to be a, 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 a cultural shift. Um, yeah, I mean, Scotland's al always been a country full of entrepreneurs and pioneers and that that's, that's just part of the way the country is, I think. Mm -hmm. One of the problems is that the Scots like to put themselves down <laughs> we're not great at congratulating others when they're doing well mm -hmm. and we're also fairly risk adverse I would say mm -hmm. and if you look at your Silicon Valleys then the, over the years the amount of risk that's been taken the amount of money that's been pumped into things and then disappeared because people spend it in a kind of almost irresponsible way 
it's very hard for a country like Scotland to get to that point in time because the money isn't necessarily there that can be wasted, mm -hmm. but there's also not the people, the VCs, for example, enough of them with the background to say, no, we need to start taking these risks to grow. Yeah. Um, in Edinburgh in particular, you've got places like Codebase where you've got now, I think, over 100 companies from one-man bands to administrate who are the biggest company in there now mm -hmm. who are all what you can class as technology startups. Mm -hmm. There's also a thing, though, that everybody wants to be a startup. It's <laughs> cool to run a tech startup. It's cool to be an entrepreneur. That is now the most abused word in the world. <laughs> it drives me insane when I see people who are CEO of their one-person company. Like, that's like me saying I'm the CEO of Velocity Digital. Are you not? No, <laughs> I'm the only person there. <laughs> to be a CEO, uh, to me, there has to be a certain amount of thing, stuff around you. Uh -huh. There has to be other people in the C-suite for a start. <laughs> like, I just, it drives me absolutely mental. And do you know, actually, you, can pro if you could probably match that up to around the time when in the UK and in Scotland, people started going, oh, startups, startups, startups. I'm going to be a CEO of this and the CEO of that. Mm -hmm. It's just funny. <laughs> so it's very trendy right now, mm -hmm. but the majority of companies will fail without ever hitting revenue. It's a fact. It's, it's not even, we're not even talking profit here. Uh -huh. Some of the bigger startups in Edinburgh aren't at profit level yet. Mm. But it's this, and then you go like, but some of them aren't even really making money. And there's a huge problem within the majority of them. They put all their resource and all their time and all their blood, sweat and tears into building the product and they might have a nice product and then they go, right, we're ready to get some users of this product now and they think of marketing and particularly sales far too late. Okay. And then all of a sudden they're just burning cash because somebody in the company goes, ah, yeah, I reckon I can do some stuff with, I don't know, Google AdWords and then a couple of grand's gone down the drain because they just panic and it's, it's, it's totally upside down. A lot of the companies in the States that have done so well actually are marketing-driven companies that then leads the product. So okay. if you think about an Uber or an Airbnb, mm -hmm. they are very strong brands and their marketing has been spot on from day one. Mm -hmm. Their ideas are pretty good. Use other <laughs> people's resources to make billions of pounds, dollars, whatever, great. <laughs> other people's cars, other people's houses, fantastic. But their marketing from day one has been brilliant. So there's a real problem in Scotland, and I, I'm not yet seeing that disappearing of marketing being too, too last minute. Spread, particularly when it comes to these newer startup companies, I think a lot of your more traditional industries in, in Scotland, they, they do get that, but they, they could all still do with a bit of a boot up the backside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, your solution to that problem would be to market earlier? Yeah, I mean, to, to, to immediately have the awareness that from day one, we need to be thinking about when we're ready to go with this. Yeah. How do we get it out there? And do we understand who we're marketing to? Who's our actual user base for this product? Mm -hmm. But also, it's not even that. It's not just about being external. It's, it's how do we use marketing techniques to make sure that there is a market for this? And we're actually building what people want. Because you, you hear a lot about companies pivoting. Yes. And quite often what happens is they actually bother to go and do some research. 
they might run a beta program for the, the, the product, the software, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. The feedback comes in from that and they go, oh, right, that little bit of the product is actually what people want. But that means we're going to have to pivot to change our direction either slightly or hugely in some cases. And again, it's a hugely overused term because um, yeah. it should really mean that you've actually gone from selling, for example, to mums, but then actually, no, we're selling this to teenagers. Yeah. But so, it, yeah, I think that just the raising the awareness that from day one marketing has to be front of mind. It's not, it shouldn't be secondary, yeah. but it will always be secondary to the, the product because products are hard to build. They take a lot of people to build and to build well, but just make sure that a proportion of your time is aligned and spent on actually thinking about the market and how we're going to market to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good advice. I like it. So I'd like to talk to you a bit about um, social media. It's something that mm. I've heard you speak about a lot, mm. um, certainly listening to, to your podcast uh, historically. Um, I know that you're a, you're a Snapchat fan. It's something that you've spoken <laughs> about a fair bit. So tell me about um, you know, the, the social media platforms that you're most active on and, and why you choose them. Um, Twitter is still the one for me. Okay. Um, I started using Twitter in early 2008, um, predominantly to speak to people in the States about social media marketing uh, when I was doing the blog and trying to learn all about it. And Twitter has absolutely played a massive part in me being able to, again, build that career that I'm, I'm really happy with. Mm -hmm. um, it's connected me to people. It's given me a voice for anything I've written. It's a huge part of why the podcast took off the way it did. Unfortunately, that's been on hold for the, about the last, uh, well, since kind of May last year, because I've just not had the time to carry the podcast on, but it will be coming back. Mm -hmm. um, so Twitter to me is still a highly valuable tool, uh, and it does come down to the, the connections you can make there and also the audience that it can get for whatever you're doing, whatever your business is. But it's not about going on there and shouting, saying, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. It's about adding value. And then what comes out the back of that, that should be advantageous for your, your personal brand, again, or your, or your business or whatever you're doing. Um, it's funny, though, now, because it's, it's a hugely saturated platform. Yeah. Back in 2008, particularly in Scotland, there wasn't a huge amount of people using it. So it was easier to have a voice. It was easier to... I mean, I used to have discussions with people in the States just off the back of, you know, I've written this blog post and I've got it out there. And it would get a huge spread because there still wasn't that many people writing about what I was writing about. And you just made these connections, but now it's getting harder and harder. And I think a lot of businesses look at social media as this kind of silver bullet, whereas actually it's increasingly difficult to get anything out of it without putting a bit of money behind it. Whereas yeah. even four to five years ago, with the right ideas and a bit of graft, you could get a lot out of it for free. Free. Time isn't free, but mm -hmm. ideas aren't free. However, without actually giving any money to Twitter or Facebook or whatever it may be. But now we've seen the emergence of platforms like Snapchat. Mm -hmm. And every brand in the world is like, how do we get on Snapchat? Mm -hmm. How do we capture that young market that's on there? And you're... you're, you're as any new platform, any social media platform comes along, 
marketers try and jump on the bandwagon yeah. and there's this wave of failures disasters in some ca uh, cases and then people start to work out how to do it or they actually say you know what we're not right to be here so we're going to move on which is fine that's really you know if you're not getting where you want to with anything move on from it um i i'd played with snapchat and it's not meant for people our age predominantly it is for a younger uh, demographic however that's changing and more people late 20s early 30s are starting to use it because it's just massively grown in mm. popularity and awareness of it I started using it I didn't really know what to do because of this kind of short burst thing I thought I can't do I can't really add a lot of value by doing long kind of pieces to camera on this because nobody pays attention to them for that length of time on there um, and then I thought, and actually when I started the job at Administrate, I saw that as an opportunity to kind of try and map this change from being my own independent uh, runner of this business to being an employee in a startup. And I started to do that. And actually it became quite popular quite quickly. I got chucked on a few of these lists that you see, top marketing or top business snappers to follow. <laughs> and at one point in, in the course of one day, something like 300 people followed it. Here we go. But then again, it started to die off. I just got busier and busier and busier. But now I'm back on there again and I'm talking about the reverse, how it is going back into this after being employed. Oh, okay. And I'm finding it much easier because I'm more passionate about what I'm doing. So I think, I think one of the biggest problems with social media is whether you're a business or an individual, mm -hmm. is trying to be everywhere at once. Yeah. People feel pressure. I've had a lot of discussions this week with businesses and marketing in general still bamboozles them. Mm -hmm. And they can be mature businesses who they do all right, so they just carry on with what they're doing. But they always feel, they always say, anytime I look at the blogs, anytime I look at any stuff on YouTube about social media, it just perplexes me. And honestly, it panics me because I feel like I should be doing Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, <laughs> Snapchat. It goes on and on yeah, and on yeah, and on yeah. and on. Uh, whereas actually you need to work out what's best for your audience, what we're gonna do to make, be a valuable part of it and offer value to that audience mm -hmm. and focus in on the one platform initially that's gonna work best for you. But now we're in a place where you have to consider what the advertising model is, in, is within them all mm -hmm. because it's very hard to make any impact without putting a bit of money behind it at any mm -hmm. scale. Yeah. Yeah, that's changed a lot actually in yeah. recent years. But it doesn't mean going and buying an audience because that's one of the most ridiculous things you can do. <laughs> you can go and buy followers here, followers there, whatever, yeah. but how do you activate them and, and how do you tell what they're doing for the business? It's, it's really difficult. Um, so it's just, it's a total minefield. And yeah. it, it's people's window into your business and you as a person, and you, you can really cock it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To the detriment of your business or your personal life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, taking um, your business as an example, you mm. know, what what will be your, I suppose, um, content marketing strategy for the next kind of twelve months? What platforms will you look to be active on, and what will you look to uh, achieve from it? Yeah, the things I really need to get back into are blogging. Um, I have mapped my journey this week so far. I've done two blog posts about you know finding my feet again and what I'm hearing from marketers and I've loved doing that again. And mm -hmm. um, to me, my, my best output is still the written word. I might add a little bit of video there. 
Um, the podcast will 100% be coming back. Um, I'm hoping to record the first one next Friday. Um, so the bedrock of it will still be blogging, little bit of video and the podcast. Yeah. And I will be promoting those through Twitter because it still works brilliantly for me. Um, Facebook, I'll, perhaps a little bit of paid activity on Facebook just to get it back out there. But really, um, I have a lot of public speaking engagements coming up mm. and I look at those as content marketing as well. I'm going on stage in front of people, they get to see me, how I am, how I act, they either like it or they don't, and I'm delivering, obviously, content from the stage. Yeah. And then I have to make sure that I capitalise on the, the after effects of that. But it is, it's just going gonna, gonna to come down to really, to, to be honest, quite, quite straight talking, transparent look at how I work, what I'm learning, what's gone well and what's not just being out there and saying this is it mm -hmm. and I think that's the best way you can be um, and actually I administrate one of the values there it's a very value-driven company was transparency at all times and that rings true outwardly but also internally there was there was no secrets there's no backstabbing or like any of that awful stuff you see in office environments yeah. and that that I've always tried to be like that because actually social media most people project this life that they think everybody wants to have. You know, I'm on holiday, I'm eating nice foods, dum 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 I've got new shoes, whatever it may be. But it's all kind of vacuous and false, yes. whereas actually it should be you kind of heart on your sleeve, this is, this is how it goes. Um, and a few people this week have congratulated me for making the decision to leave administrate because uh -huh. I wasn't happy there. Um, I wasn't getting from from what I needed and they weren't getting from it ultimately f what they needed in some ways mm -hmm. and I had to be very honest with myself and my wife and my friends and whoever and say I'm gonna get out of there and it was all great it was a really nice process it was all very amicable mm -hmm. but some people have said good on you for actually getting out because you you need to in life and that's I've always done that my if you look at my CV it's quite chop and change Funnily enough, if you look at the thing I've done the longest, it is velocity, mm -hmm. even with that year gap. So the year gap was an interesting one. It came at an interesting time in my life. But I've always believed that if you're not happy doing what you're doing, you have to get out. Yeah. And actually, any short-term problems that cause are only, they are short-term. As long as you don't burn bridges, as long as you don't badmouth people, and, and make yourself look bad. I think most employers will always appreciate you being honest and saying, I'm going and actually I'll help you transition this, uh, but let's, let's move towards me getting out. Um, mm -hmm. Too many people just sit every day miserable and we spend most of our lives at work. <laughs> we, sleeping and working, that's the main things we do. Yeah. So yeah. if you're not happy at work, you're not gonna sleep well and then you're spending the two things we spend the most time in our lives doing bloody miserable. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got you've got to go. You've got to go. Yeah. Don't even yeah. know how we got onto that, but yeah. No, no, I it's a good rant. A, I like it. Yeah. It's very much uh, in line with uh, what what we're trying to promote here. So, mm. so definitely, yeah. So, I mean, what advice would you give to somebody um, at the moment who was looking to get into marketing, given how much it's changed? Mm. I mean, what what sort of things would you, or uh, yeah, what would you do now? I suppose as well. 
Yeah, so um, I do a fair bit of university lecturing and mm -hmm. the thing that I'm always talking to marketing students about is making a, a voice and a name for yourself while you're at uni, mm. even before you're at uni. We all now have the opportunity to create content. It doesn't cost us much money, mm -hmm. if any at all. It takes dedication and time. We have an opportunity to be out there on social, connecting with people that are going to help us in the future, making a name for ourselves, so on and so forth. And you didn't, I didn't have those tools when I was at university. Um, and now everybody has that. And I think to not capitalise on that is a, is a massive mistake. And it's actually quite scary how many... For a while at Velocity, I had a team of people. I used to employ people for the business. That's not the plan now. And the amount of CVs I got through from marketing students who weren't blogging, who didn't have things as simple as a LinkedIn profile, and you just look at that and you go, why are you, why are we, why are you trying to get into marketing and not doing these things? Mm -hmm. And uh, does it come down to laziness or just a lack of awareness of that's what they should be doing? Yeah. Probably a bit of both in some cases. Mm -hmm. I was speaking at a university that were made nameless recently, just last month, and I spoke about these five blogs that every marketer should be reading. I asked the students to put their hands up and not a single hand went up to reading any of them. <laughs> and I thought, these are not things that are hidden away. If you are genuinely interested in what you are doing, they would, you couldn't avoid reading these things. Yeah. And actually, the students are at fault, I would say less than the institutions because their marketing courses and even their business courses aren't moving at the pace they need to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, lecturers in marketing should be saying, I read this article on the Moz blog. Uh, I'm sending it all to you, you've got to read it. And I want you to start sharing great things you're reading with me. And it's not all about reading, but you need to go and practice things as well. And I just, it just worries me because there's a lot of grads coming out of uni in various backgrounds and mainly commercial backgrounds mm -hmm. that just aren't getting the grounding they need. Because see, when I look back at uni, there's some theories or fundamental models that I maybe think about from time to time, mm -hmm. but no, I don't, it was a great experience. Uh, however, even at that point, the education I got from it hasn't really made a big difference to my marketing career. I think now, university, college, whatever, I'm of that generation where it was dependent on your background and your life. You, were, you, were, you weren't expected to go to university, but there was a fair chance that that's what you were gunning to do. Now, to be honest, if I was wanting to get into marketing, mm -hmm. I would stick in at school, get good grades, and then I would probably just go and start working in it while doing all of the personal brand building and all that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to get in, in there and go and volunteer in uh, agencies or learn how to blog well and go and help a charity out. So you get a bit of background. You might have to go and be working a, a non-marketing nine to five job while you're doing this, but mm -hmm. I think there's there's probably more to be said for, for not going and studying something like marketing uh, mm -hmm. and just getting out there and, and doing it and you can learn everything you need to online for free. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Just make sure you've got opportunities to go and practice what you're learning and, yes. and not just be this. You see a lot of marketing speakers who are doing five, six, seven talks a month and they're standing on stage and they're talking about things and I think whenever you got the time to actually be a practitioner of what you're talking about. Yeah. So I am mainly grounded now in, in strategy, however, 
I've just taken on a client that I will be doing a lot of their content creation and running all of their, their online ad campaigns for them. Because mm -hmm. without that, I can very much get myself into this strategist consultant area where actually I'm not doing it on a day-to-day -day basis, so I can't actually claim to be as up to speed as I should be because things change so quickly. Yes, yeah. There's a whole bunch of different questions that I could ask at this point, which is really interesting. Um, I think what you were saying about how institutions aren't keeping up with the rate of change and there is, you know, especially in the digital space, the creation of I suppose, a skills gap that people are coming out and they're not up to speed yep. with, with the stuff that they need mm. to know, which I think you're absolutely right. And I'm not entirely sure what the solution for that is. Um, and I'm not going to go down that path because we, <laughs> we could explore that yeah. to, to no end. Um, one of the things I'd be interested to hear about is um, the sort of the influencers or the people that I suppose you pay attention to within your space. Yeah, yeah, the, who they are or yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So who are the who are the people that you're um, looking at the the content that they're putting out in order to learn from? I suppose. Yeah, my my kind of ultimate hero in marketing is a guy called Rand Fishkin, who's the founder of Moz. And Moz is an okay. SEO tool, search engine optimization tool. Um, one of the reasons that I admire him and his company so much is that they have always been very good at creating brilliant content to share with people for free that gives them a lot of value. It just so happens the tool is good. It's not even the best tool on the market, mm -hmm. but their marketing and the way they deal with people makes it the go-to and the one with the, the most, um, the, the biggest awareness certainly and affinity and people want to be a part of it. Um, I was really lucky in August to speak again at the Turing Festival and Rand was speaking as well. So yeah. I finally got to meet him. We conversed back and forth over the years, got to meet him, shared a stage with him, and that was a real career highlight. Um, there's other chaps, uh, Mark Schaefer, he's a content yeah. guy from the States. Um, some of your previous guests might have mentioned him. Mm -hmm. um, and gosh, there's, there's so, so many. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk's a funny one. <laughs> because he is this like ultimate personal branding machine yeah. and you either love him or hate him. Most of the time, I don't like what he does, but I can admire how he's gone about it. And actually a lot of the kind of the stuff you, you hear on his podcast or you see on the Daily V show or whatever it may be, the best way to really get a measure of somebody is when it's a scenario like you and I are in right now, and I was really starting to go off the guy. And then a couple of weeks ago, there was a two-hour audio podcast I listened to, and it was just a fireside chat that he did at a conference. And he went really deep into some business stuff and really deep into some marketing stuff and really deep into how, how he is as a person. Mm -hmm. And it showed me that he does have the depth. Um, but he also goes down this... I mean, I don't know how aware of this guy you are. Oh, massively, um, yeah, 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 so, yeah. I follow him a lot, actually. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> he he makes great use of video. Like your your yeah. your quest is to, to to build this into what I, I believe you can. Yeah, and yeah. He, he, uh, it's all very hustle, hustle in your yes. face, and I'm like, there's a there's a big tinge of bullshit to that. Um, one thing that really gets me is he talks about how much of a family man he is. Now I've got very young kids, mm -hmm. and I, 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 I can't. I, I struggle to believe that because when is he he a family man? Because he's running businesses, yeah. he's flying all over the world speaking, 
at £45,000 a pop, by the way, <laughs> uh, and doing podcasts and the Daily V and all this stuff, and you yeah. think, how? And But I'm not doubting him as a parent, because I would never, I'd never do that. It's one of the most disrespectful things you can do, but it's when he, he quite often says, if you only spend the next amount of time with your kids, and I'm the best parent, and I'm going to write this book about parenting, I think the only thing you can really give your kids to give them what they need is your time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and there, there's a ton of other, uh, there's a ton of other writers and blogs and, and things that I, I read, um, but certainly anything that Moz do, uh -huh. any, anything that a company called Buffer do, oh, they're yeah. brilliant. You've also got um, Ollie Gardner from Unbounce. He's actually a guy that went to Napier University and now he's based out in Canada and they've built this brilliant um, optimization tool. Uh, he, he does a lot of, of well, his company specifically creates a lot of great content. And I think there's actually still a lot you can learn from your kind of proper madmen like uh, David Ogilvie, yeah. um, Confessions of an Adman, books like that are fantastic. So yeah, it's yeah. there's so much out there. It's cutting through the crap to actually get to the, the heart of, of what you what you need. And also I think there's, like you used the term content marketing earlier. Mm. There's a lot of absolute nonsense all around that. There's a lot of people claiming to be experts and gurus and ninjas and all this sort of stuff. And that was one of the hardest things actually when I started being involved in social media. Um, there was a lot of people who were putting themselves out there as, as experts, but they'd, they'd never really done anything. And it was because it was so accessible to everybody, they thought, well, I can set up a nice Facebook page. And you get a lot of that kind of snake oil crap, snake yeah. oil salesman, and yeah, yeah. it was social media for ages. Now it's content marketing and SEO come back around. And it's just, you're always trying to cut above the absolute noise. I mean, just ask any business owner how many emails they get per day, people saying I can do your social media, I can get you this, I can get you that. And the things are all, always promising are the things that, fundamentally aren't going to really change the the journey of a business but a lot of business owners will lap up like yeah i do want fifty thousand followers because it's a big vanity thing or i can get you x amount of views on this blog and that's just a really treacherous industry in many ways so i try and keep mm -hmm. the people that i actually learn from and and respect to to few because most stuff out there is nonsense or people are just writing about the same thing over yeah. and over and over and actually, I'm, I'm a bit dry as a writer right now because I've probably covered most topics in marketing now in my life since I've been writing. And I think that um, instead of churning out the same things, mm -hmm. um, just in a different way, I'm actually taking a little step back right now and I'm going to try and relate everything back to, to the experiences I'm having until I'm in a place where I've experienced different things and different problems for different businesses and I can start to talk about them. I think a lot of my content might start to push towards more of the holistic business as a part, as opposed to just marketing. It'll be how marketing's fitting in with, with the rest of things, which yeah. is important as well. Yeah, cool. You mentioned um, Buffer. So, I mean, do you use tools like, you know, Buffer, Hootsuite, Edgar and such? And, you know, with that, how do you, I suppose, manage your, your actual time relative to mm. creating your, your content and managing your content? Yeah, so um, 
I'm a user of Buffer and a kind of lightweight, if I read something that I want to share on Twitter, I'll use Buffer to get it out there yeah. or, or schedule it or whatever. But the, the main tool I've used, and I was actually, I, get, I offered it a lot of help when it first started as a social media management tool called Sprout Social. Okay. It's not as well known as Hootsuite. Um, it doesn't have a free version, for example, so it's not always that accessible to people, but mm -hmm. it's the best out there. And um, I've still got a great relationship with them. I'm not on commission. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, you need these tools, but again, there's far too much technology out there and people mm -hmm. get really, really kind of scared of it all. There's over 5,000 pieces of technology out there that are classed as marketing tools. Okay. Um, wow. The time involved in creating content, the time involved in getting it out there is massive. There's no doubt about that. But if you're doing it properly, it, it can be so fundamental to, to success. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's a, again, it's different. It's gonna be different this, well, the, the tail end of 2016 into 2017. Um, I, as a consultant, I shouldn't really be selling any more than four days a week of my time because I need a day for new business, I need a day for admin, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Ideally, I actually only want to sell three because I believe that I should be spending a day writing, podcasting, so on and so forth. Uh, and the other day is all the admin and the new business and everything. So mm -hmm. I'm going to make very sure that I know, we were chatting before we started recording that That's I'm right. I'm running Agile Scrum for myself, yeah. that a part of my weekly scrums are are dedicated to creating content for the business and, and myself. It's just, you need the devotion to it. Writing's a funny one though, because some people write very well late at night, some people uh, are early in the morning, so you've got to do it when you're feeling, I started writing something yesterday and everything that tripped off the end of my fingers was absolute garbage. <laughs> it was like primary school writing. And I just thought, nah, stop. I just deleted the whole thing. I thought, nah, I'm going to do something else. I went and did some admin because you're either for it or you're not at that, that given time. I've got such respect for people that are professional copywriters yeah. or even journalists who they just have to be on it all the time, yeah. churning things out. And it's a, it's, it's such a valuable skill to be able to communicate in the written word is, is huge and everybody loves stories. If you can tell a story, yeah. it's, it's just, I think I'm, I'm, I'm always telling people with marketing, you need to, you, st you still need to make people feel something. Mm -hmm. That can be as simple as I've got a problem and this has just shown me how to fix it. The, the emotion that can create is huge, relief, whatever excitement it might be. That could be a personal problem, that could be a business problem. Um, it's all about emotion. And actually, it's really interesting to, to look at the rise of the emoji <laughs> because <laughs> the emoji was something that was a bit like, oh, don't be silly, and now it's a fundamental way of how we communicate. Yeah. But it's harking right back to Neanderthal times of drawing things on caves yeah. to, to show the world what was happening to us. And that's, that's all it is. It's just a symbol that conveys something. Uh -huh. um, so as a communicator, as a writer, you're, you're having to quite continually morph how you, how you communicate. Yeah. Getting a point across in 140 characters on Twitter is an absolute art. But then if you look at a blog post, say 500 words, Mm -hmm. Telling a story and having the classic structure within that of beginning, middle, end is a whole different ballgame. 
So yeah. effective marketers now are really able to to change how they communicate based on the platform it's for, the audience it's for, and that is really not easy. Because yeah. you can you can write a loads of stuff and promote it and pay for it to be promoted and whatnot, but if fundamentally it's offering no value, if it's making people feel nothing, if it doesn't have the right even degree of psychology in it to get people to take an action, mm. then you're wasting your time mm -hmm. and theirs often. Yeah, yeah. It's funny when you mentioned um, your writing primary school stuff uh, and you know the, the times at which you write it reminds me of Tim Ferriss I'm, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure he's a he's a night owl when he writes and he likes to write with a, a glass of wine as well yeah so that always helps maybe, <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe try that approach yeah yeah it's funny I mean uh, I I normally yeah I'm quite often half ten at night on the couch writing something okay. and um, I'll usually sleep on it reread it in the morning and decide to publish it or not um, I uh, I also I'm a bit I get an idea for something and I want it written and published within five hours, uh, okay. which can work very well or can be a disaster. Cause yeah. There's often times I've done that and I look at it and go, that's terrible. <laughs> that doesn't even flow. What's my point here? Um, but it's actually all right to do that. And then you just go here. By the way, guys, that was rubbish. <laughs> the, the thought was there. Yeah. I'll restructure it and send it out again or whatever. But. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, you. it's so hard to get anybody's time and attention that if you're not nailing it, then it's very difficult to, to, to warrant actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a huge challenge, the, the fact that attention spans are getting, you know, smaller and smaller and the rate of change nowadays. Um, you know, what, do, you, do you see there being more kind of video content and shorter um, writing pieces? Is that... I mean, the, the shorter burst video uh, is definitely a thing. You know, we've got Instagram stories, we've got yeah. Snapchat stories, we've got disappearing content that <laughs> you get 24 hours to view. Is it six seconds is the the initial attention span that the average human's got now. So yeah. if something's not grabbing them within six seconds, and that's the average, it's probably less for a lot yeah. of people, um, you're, you're gone. And one of the very interesting things to see, and this has really only been in the last six months, as Facebook have pushed more and more into being a video channel, and we're seeing autoplaying videos in our feeds, yeah. the best videos are now captioned, because they understand <laughs> yes. that not everybody can listen. Yeah. You might be on a bus, on a train, doing whatever you're doing, you don't have headphones, you can't listen. I might be watching it at my desk at work, I can't have the audio, but as humans, we're more than capable of taking in pictures and and words at the same time yes. and i've found myself i never used to, if i was scrolling through facebook i never used to watch any video but now if something visually captures captures my attention and i can just read along with it yeah. i'll stop and watch it so we're, we're now at a point where we're seeing the merging of of the written words and the video and it's working uh and the smartest marketers the smartest companies and the smartest personal brand merchants, <laughs> <laughs> they, they're the people that can yeah. adapt to what people want and yeah, how the yeah. platforms are allowing them to get their, their voice out there. Gary Vaynerchuk's one that's been doing that for a while, actually. Yeah, yeah and yeah. that's it. He, he does understand yes. how to communicate with people. Yeah. He talks about when he's in airports and he, he's, he'll try and sit behind young people using their mobiles and watch what they're doing. And he says, it's obviously very creepy, <laughs> but he called, he called Snapchat 
as yes. a massive platform a good few years ago now mm -hmm. and he said I got it because the kids that I was seeing in the airports kids you know 15 16 whatever were all over it uh, so it's just it's trying to have that kind of future gazing outlook yeah. which is, is very difficult but you've got to be adaptable as a marketer because um, right now a lot of what we do is in the hands of the platforms Facebook's organic reach got absolutely strangled three years ago. Your average Facebook update will only reach one and a half percent of your fans unless you pay for it or your likes. Mm. Pretty scary. It used to be around 25%. So it, it, it's just constantly adapting. Um, I think our attention is worse than it ever has been. Mm -hmm. Mark Schaefer, who I spoke about earlier, he's got this theory around content shock. So we're now at a point where there's so much content in the world that we just, most of us don't know where to start to actually get to where we need to get to what we want to read, what we want to watch, what we want to listen to. Yeah, and yeah. he's got a stat in this book, The Content Code, which you should definitely read. And it's the average US citizen consumes 15 and a half hours of media per day. And that could be TV, social media, outdoor advertising, whatever it is. Yeah. 24 hours in a day, if it, you know, <laughs> know, it doesn't start to add up. But, yeah. you know, last thing Jeez. a lot of us do at night is read something on our phone. I think the average smartphone user checks their phone in the morning within three minutes of waking up. It's incredible. Yeah. And the smartphone is, is, is the key component of all of this growth. The rise of social media is perfectly in line with the, the rise in the accessibility of, of, of smartphones. And it's just phenomenal the point we've got to in the space of really, well, 2009 was it the iPhone came out? 2008, 2009, yeah, yeah. and that was the one that really brought it all to the to the fore. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's a very exciting time to to be in marketing. But yeah. I do feel myself being starting to be a bit like the old man. Exactly. There's yeah. guys that are in in code base that I mentioned earlier who are are, are kind of forging their path as marketing consultants or whatever, and they're like 15 years younger than me. And they get it. They really get what yeah. those people at that age are doing with this technology. Uh, and it's, yeah, I can feel them snapping my heels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's actually really, really fascinating is like, you know, us as kind of fringe, mil fringe millennials yeah. at best, you know, are we going to ultimately be usurped by the kind of young, digital, savvy generation that's coming through now? And I saw, um, uh, it was a chart quite recently that was like the median age of employees at all these various yeah. sort of companies, like your Facebooks, I think it was something like 28. And I think even like the older generation companies, like your Adobe's was still like 35. And I'm yeah. thinking, geez, you know. It's scary. The, the average age of the C-suite at Administrate, and I was operating at this level below that, the director level, is 33. Wow. And that's the C-suite. And that was a big eye-opener for a lot of people yeah. externally going, wow, you, you guys are a really young team. And that's, that's but all, all highly experienced, uh, mm. which is vital. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's really, I was speaking in um, Belfast two weeks ago, um, uh, conference that Queen's University put on and it, it was all, all about how social media is affecting young people uh, for the, the good and for the bad and they asked me to talk about actually in general how social media is impacting lives our day-to-day -day lives but also 
to look at it as how how um, young people are using it and if it's a good research tool to try and get to them. I'll not go into if it is or isn't. Just now, we don't have enough time. But it was really interesting because three quarters of the speakers, I was the youngest speaker. Some of them were 20 to even 30 years older than me. And it wasn't until the last speaker of the day that somebody who was 18 came in <laughs> and got up and spoke about their experiences of it. And there's all us old farts trying to tell the room how these people are doing it, what it means to them. Yeah. And she said that as much as young people are a part of social media, i.e. without them, most of the, the platforms wouldn't be flying, social media is a fundamental part of their lives mm -hmm. and they know it no differently. And that is scary hmm. in many aspects, but also an amazing thing because it gives you access to people you would never be able to interact with. Mm -hmm. Content and education you would never have at your fingertips. And this outward view of the world, mm -hmm. albeit a false one at times, mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant thing. But then the flip side of it is she had actually tried to commit suicide due to cyberbullying. Oh, wow. At 14. Jesus. And she now campaigns across the world to try and reduce Okay. cyberbullying so she said it's still a fundamental part of my life that adds so much but she was on well she, she did try to commit suicide based oh. on abuse that she got online from strangers Jesus that's pretty scary yeah that she's not just decided to she's now using it for the good to try and eradicate that sort of behavior mm. that's pretty scary it is scary <laughs> wow wow well, we've spoken for a, a good while about, um, you know, social media and marketing and it's great. And, you know, yep. it's clearly something that you absolutely love. Your, your, the passion you just oozes from you. You're so engaged with what you're talking about. Good. And, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> that's helpful. It's, it's, good. it's good. So, I mean, clearly that's your passion. What do you think is your purpose? <laughs> I don't know. I think right now my purpose is to be uh, a good husband and dad got a four and a half year old boy and a nine month old boy and okay. a lovely wife, Julie. And um, I think actually in the last year, I've not been a particularly good person to deal with due to various things to do with work. Um, and right now, everything I'm doing is to try and make sure everything's great on in their lives as much as I can affect that. I think if you think of a professional thing, I just really want to take what I've learned and what, what's now 10 years uh, and and help business owners or people within businesses just to really make sure that they're not getting terrible results, <laughs> terrible anxiety about marketing. Because mm -hmm. uh, it does cause people a lot of problems, as any part of business does. Mm -hmm. Running a business is, you know, I've not done it to a huge scale. I've worked at at senior levels within businesses and I run my own business now. But it's it's a lonely, challenging experience and if anything can kind of interrupt that and cause problems and anxiety, marketing is definitely one of them. Um, so I, I think I'm just here to, to help show businesses the way forward and almost be their kind of marketing shoulder to cry on. I yeah. feel like there's there's a market out there for me to be a marketing therapist, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think 
I don't know. I, I, and, and in some ways, I'm still finding out what, what I'm, I'm meant to do. Yeah. I think I know that marketing something I'm usually passionate about, and I believe I can help people in. Mm-hmm. If that's the foundation of it. Brilliant. Uh, but it's yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a big question. I think anybody just has to always try and be as self-aware and honest with themselves. And like I said earlier, if if you don't know what your purpose is or what your why is then don't feel like you have to be under pressure to go and find that and understand it because hmm. that whole what is your why question, the whole thing that Simon Sinek yes. has like blasted into people's faces, yeah. I think it's a great question, but again, it's causing people an a- anxiety because they're going, I don't know what why is. Why am I here? Should I be here? Oh my God, I'm going to go and live in the middle of India and just try and find myself again and all that sort of stuff. And it's kind of like, God, everybody just needs to chill out and actually... Maybe just see where things take you for a while, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really it's it, it's amazing how this. And again, see, saying I don't like Gary Vaynerchuk that much, but his big thing, self awareness, and I actually think that is a huge thing in business. Uh-huh. Um, I, I I worked with a guy a few years ago who thought that everything he did was incredible, and he thought that every conversation he had with everybody went down well and that people walked away from it respecting them and loving them. But it was the exact opposite. <laughs> the exact opposite, and everybody told me that. This guy was on my team, he was senior to me, and everybody told me that this, this is not the way that this should be. Um, and I look back on that and I wish I had told him how he was coming across. Because some people just lack any sense of self-awareness. And it is, but you can't teach it. I don't know how you can tell somebody that that you're not coming across the way that I believe you are. It's a really, it's a really, it's quite a controversial thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, well, if you can't understand how people communicate with you and how you should be communicating with them, then you're you're going to struggle to really ever understand why you're here, what you're meant to be doing what your effect on the people around you is, the world around you, and everything beyond that. Christ, I don't know, how, how do you even start to, to, <laughs> to apprehend that? Yeah, wow, that's deep, I like it. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's so deep, but yeah, I don't think I said anything of any worth. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded good. It did. But I, mean, I better go and type that up, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, um, you know, uh, equally on the topic of uh, deep stuff, what do you think you want your legacy to be? Oh, man. I think saying a, a legacy of being a, a, a marketer that helped businesses and helped people within them is pretty, pretty crap. Uh, <laughs> like, I'd also, you know, you could go down the other route and say, well, I want to move into charity and helping people. And well, I don't know. I think when I'm dead, and if people think that I was somebody who didn't allow themselves to ever go down a path for very long that was making them unhappy or didn't challenge them or, or mm-hmm. push himself to fulfill himself, then I'd be happy with that. And also somebody that was a good dad, a good husband and a good friend, I think, and a good son and whatever else you are in life I think that's a great thing and I I don't think again I think people get carried away and they think that they have to 
leave this planet as if they were, you know, they cured cancer or whatever. And there's yeah, all these, yeah, yeah. it's just like, people just need to be comfortable with, with who they are and where they are, I think. So yeah, if people, if I die and people respected me for most of my life, then I'd be happy with that. Yeah. Not all of my life. <laughs> there's always times when you're not respected. <laughs> Usually in the middle of the dance floor. <laughs> no, that was that's a brilliant answer. I really like that. That's good. Good. Okay, we'll 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 kind of come off the uh, the whole the whole, whole purpose stuff. It does get a bit deep. Universe we'll, and beyond. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd like to talk, um, you know, a bit about success. Mm. Um, how do you define success? I would define success by being able to do what you want to do and have the comfort to go and do it. Um, I remember when I had, when Velocity had kind of morphed into this mini agency and we were doing a lot of social media management for companies and I had five staff, I think, at the peak. Um, and I used to go to networking events with other people in the marketing world, some people from big agencies, owners of big agencies, and they would say, how many people are you up to now, Mike? Would be the first question they would ask. And I would say five. And they'd say, oh, you've got a bit to go yet, haven't you, Mike? <laughs> and I would go a bit to, to what? To stress massive wage bills and this bullshit sense of, um, of, of, of success. Yeah. I think there's just so much. I don't see success as driving about in a nice car. Um, I just think it is about, we're going a bit deeper again here, but I like it. just being fulfilled, I think that is success. And doing good, just doing a, a good job. I think being able to, at the end of the day, go, I worked hard today and I achieved something for me or a client or my colleagues or whoever it is, I think is a big deal. And yeah, I, I, it's not about money. It's not about being, trying to be famous or anything like that. It's just feeling good about what you're doing. Very good. Good stuff, good stuff. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, this, yeah, I've had a lot of bad advice. Something I've lacked outside of my dad, my mum, my, my parents, people I'm close to, is a real mentor in my career. Mm -hmm. um, and that's no disrespect to anyone that's ever been my boss or whatever. I've just never really had that. And actually, I don't know how mentorable I am. Probably just made that word up. Not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how good a mentee I am. Um, because I don't take advice that well sometimes. Uh, my absolutely favourite kind of saying is fortune and favours the brave. Because you, you, you don't really get anywhere towards, for, towards where you want to be without taking a risk mm -hmm. and stepping outside of another overused term, your comfort zone. Uh, <laughs> the world's just full of like these, these, these sayings that you don't want to use but there's not another saying <laughs> yeah. that actually conveys what you're trying to say without using that. Um, what was the question? <laughs> uh, I think it was what's the best piece of advice you've ever received. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember Tom Farmer came to our school in sixth year to do the kind of cheerio speech. And he, um, he said that you need to hire people smarter than you. So yeah. have people that are smarter than you around you. And albeit I'm not, looking to hire anyone, uh, I more than understand the value of having people around you who are smarter at doing the things that you're not so good at. Um, 
I'm actually not that smart a person. I'm not a super intelligent person at all. Um, I, I, I'm terrible at maths. I, I'm not that clever. I'm really not. However, um, there's a lot of clever people out there that can help me. I am emotionally clever in that I understand how to communicate with people. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a huge, huge skill. Massively, yeah. And people that can't do that need somebody to be their face <laughs> yeah. in the front of the business or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I think that is my biggest skill is coming back down to building relationships with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably should have moved into sales, to be honest, because mm-hmm. actually um, I probably although I would be sitting here if I was a salesman, probably thinking that the big car was the end of the, end, the big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's harsh, I love salesmen. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, I forgot the question. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> we okay. keep going off on these tangents yeah, earlier, yeah. but uh, <laughs> trying, no, I think to, trying to summarize that one there. But, um, that's a very, very yeah. humble answer for a man that invented trees, Mike. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, I just told you I'm thick. thick, You might want to take that one back. No, that's fine. So if you had an opportunity to speak to the 20-year-old you, what would you say? Um, Take even more risks. Yeah. I think, I've not really got any regrets, to be honest. I think that's the one thing that I can look back and say, no, there's not been anything. I feel like I've done that I shouldn't have done. I do think though, at a younger age, um, I would I would look back and say, just don't try and be what other people want you to be. And I remember I had this, and this is a really, when I was about 15, I had this conversation with my dad. I said to him, dad, I feel like life is just this conveyor belt and you, you start and you move along and you have to get to a certain point of this production line to, to be a product at the end of it. So school and then in, in my background, university, wife, partner, kids, good job, nice car, nice house. And I was like, Dad, that scares the, the hell out of me. Mm. Um, but to me at that time, that's how I felt like everybody was trying to mold you into, and not my parents by any means, but you know, school, I hated school. School was just so controlled and just such a lack of freedom to, mm. to express yourself, to do the sort of work you want to do. And um, I think by the time I got to 20, I'd maybe kind of worked that out my system. So I think, you know, I'm 34 now, saying 20 would just be push harder against what the world's trying to get you to be and don't actually give a crap what other people think. I think when you're young, you want to come across as cool and you want to be in the the, the top group of folk at school and all that horrible stuff. <laughs> that I look back on now and I go, yeah, I was actually probably a complete dick to a lot of people at school and not even necessarily meaning it, but you just had to try and you wanted to come across a certain way. Um, yeah, just, just push back on on what everyone's trying to get you to do. I like it. And actually, no teacher in the world knows who you are. Mm. No, nobody who is paid and probably hates what they're doing can, should really tell you what you're gonna be or what you're not gonna be. I can't stand that. Um, 
had a computing teacher. His name was Peter Lennon. I'm actually going to mention him. Awesome. He was a nasty, nasty piece of work. And I loved programming. I did standard grade, and this was a higher class. And it was something I saw myself getting into, and now I fundamentally hate it because he was a terrible teacher. He used to fly off the handle, rip up your homework, and go absolutely mental. And he used to say to us, you don't understand that I could be earning hundreds of thousands of pounds working for Microsoft right oh now. Oh, my God. And you would just go, and I'm 17 at the time, and I'm going, why is this guy doing this? Because he clearly hates it. Yeah. And people yeah. like that can hugely influence your life. Mm. I, I could well be a developer now and a software engineer. That might have been the path I'd gone down, but he made me fundamentally associate that with his horrible way of thinking. I hope he's well and thriving, Jeez. but God, just think, just funny things like that when you're younger just have such a big bearing on your life. Oh. And I think you need to tell, if you could tell your younger self, just don't take them as, to his heart as much and don't let them affect how you're going to be in the future. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. Deep. Yeah, yeah. We're going deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you could change anything in the world, what would it be and why? Ooh. <laughs> um, I think, I think the 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 foundation of money, how unfortunately, without a certain amount of money in your life, you're not going to, you're highly unlikely to get the opportunities that you that some people want to get. You can work as hard as you can, but there's some people in certain situations, certain backgrounds, that due to the environment they're in, they're not going to get to where they, they need to be. And I think that's fundamentally wrong, but we're never, we can't, it's never going to change. And it all comes back to, to, to money, really. The environment you're in, you're there because that's where you can afford to be. Um, However, the flip side of it is that people can take control of how they think and how they act, but that doesn't always get them out of the scenario that they're in. And I think it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine being in that scenario because I'm from a, a, a comfortable background where I didn't really want for anything. Mm -hmm. I was always told to work hard and had the right ethic mm -hmm. and really well well prepared for life by my folks and my wider family but I think it's I, I do I struggle when I see the lack of progress you know in Scotland right now there's 35,000 children uh, living in extreme poverty Jeez. in a country of 4.7 million people that's a scary number and there's yeah. absolutely that just should not be the case mm -hmm. but at the same time we can't fix everything because there has to be a balance and that's horrible because mm -hmm. it's just yeah i think i think especially in in recent years the recession and everything that comes out of that and i don't know there's just this i don't think we're in a good place as a human race at all just now uh, just like how someday like donald trump can be the leader of the free world and 
it just perplexes me. I think if we could just push a big reset button right now, we'd be in a good place. Yeah. Maybe we're going through something right now that will spit us out the other end as mm -hmm. a better civilization. Because right now it's pretty disgusting. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, but there's not much I can do to help that. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. It's it's almost like maybe the world is kind of doing what you suggested that your twenty year old self would do pushing back a little bit and kind of rebelling and going the wrong way, but yeah. maybe it's for the, the better good in the long term. I think Trump's a good example of that. Yeah. People just wanted a change yeah. and perhaps they didn't feel like they were going to get that with uh, Clinton. Mm -hmm. Why not go with the maverick choice and see where it leads us, but <sighs> bad idea <laughs> in this case. Surely yeah, yeah. we will see. Well, you know when you start getting texts saying, "Oh my God, we're all going to die in nuclear war," that you know <laughs> people are pretty worried about what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a bit extreme, but you know, we'll I see. So. I think so. But hopefully, it's you know maybe one step towards the sort of utopian society that you're talking about. The sort yeah. Of, I don't know if it's com uh, I mean, communist or. Uh, well, <laughs> it's <laughs> That's it. Not, I mean, and everything uh, is never going to be perfect. It can't be. It's just the way the way things are. Oh. Uh, and the more you think about that, then the crazier you go. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I have this thought, I would say once a week, sometimes if I'm outside and I see the moon, I'm like, we are literally just this bloody rock in the middle of nothing. <laughs> yeah. And why should we have to conform to these rules that as a, a race of basically all we are is the most intelligent as far as we know animal mm -hmm. why why are we living this life where like other people make crazy decisions on our behalf or we need to have money and it's just mental but as soon as you start thinking like that you just loony asylum is calling because you just you wouldn't bother doing anything. Yeah. You can go and live off the grid and all that, but you're probably gonna die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can go and live in the Pentlands and just survive. I'd be dead in within two weeks. Yeah, yeah. I'd miss Twitter too much. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just, I don't know. God, I just I've got fundamental issues with the way the world is, but yeah. I'm not gonna fix them. Well, I think it was, uh, it was from the Apple advert or Steve Jobs quote. You know, those that think. That are crazy enough to think they can change the world yeah. usually the ones who do i'm kind of paraphrasing but maybe there's a legacy coming up yeah yeah maybe there's a legacy absolutely we'll see yeah <laughs> yeah well if we haven't inspired you to change the world mike i think you've done a great job uh, today inspiring other people i think you're Good. a really really engaging speaker a lot of really actionable advice in terms of the marketing and the social media but i think we really got to see um you know peel back the layers and see the the real mike Excellent. Been, I'm glad. Awesome. I really, good. really enjoyed it. No, it's it. good. It's been great to actually have a discussion like this, and uh, you've done well at pulling it out of me. So, <laughs> perfect. This is going to work very well for you, I'm sure. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, Mike. Well, thanks so much for for coming on. More than welcome. Thanks for having me. Wish you all the best in uh, 2017 with with the velocity. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this rocket as well. Awesome. Cheers, Elliot. Thank, Thank you. Cheers.